0: And of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8:30 or 11 o'clock AM at our Todds Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Preaching 1 Kings 19. The story of Elijah on Mount Horeb. He had just slaughtered the prophets of Baal, and he had gone out thinking he was the last uh, faithful person of Israel. Just kill me now, God. This was the happiest text I think we've looked at since I've started the handover. <laughs> uh, it has only gotten worse week by week, and it climaxes in today's passage. Each you know, last week Julie preached a, a pretty rough passage, but at least there was a glimmer of hope. There's none this week. Not a bit of hope to be found in this text. Because not only does this climax uh, this little mini series, this climax is scripture up to this point. Really, this is the culmination of everything that's happened. When God began his creative work, he he created the earth, he created the things in it, he created humanity and said they're very good. He gave them this great permission to enjoy the bounty of earth with one prohibition, don't eat from this one tree. Seeking to be more like God, they ate from that one tree and from then things spiraled out of control. Sin rippled out east of Eden following behind humanity. The story goes through Noah and the flood, the Tower of Babel, and sin just seems to get worse and worse. In Genesis 12, God begins to work through humanity in a different way, through a particular family, through the family of Abraham. He joins him and says, go from the land that you're in, go and I will lead you to a place. I will make you a nation and I will bless you. Abraham is a bit uh, doubting. Uh, I'm particularly old. My wife is even older. How possibly are you going to make us a nation? God says, I can bring forth life. And Abraham believes in its credited as righteousness. He has faith. But then we still see the effects of sin play out through his family through their continual turning away from trusting in God and then trying to kind of work things out on their own. The story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is really the story of Abraham and Sarah, the story of their children and their grandchildren, and the effects of sin rippling throughout. Ultimately, their grandson Joseph ends up in Egypt in this position of power. Things look like they might be all right for Israel. And then you turn the page and find that there was a king in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. They're in their worst possible situation, so we think. They're enslaved by Pharaoh. driven day after day in manual labor. Where is this God who made covenant with us? Where is he? We cry out. The text says that God heard their cries. Ultimately he delivers them from Egypt, brings them out into the land and says go, I'm gonna give you the land I promised your forefathers. They go out and spy the land and when they get there, 12 go in. Ten come out going, they're too big, they're too strong. If we go in, surely we're going to die. Two say, God is big enough. They're laughed at, they're almost killed, and ultimately the people reject going into the land that God has promised them. So they wander in the wilderness. God works through Moses, gives them law, this idea of kind of uh, terms that might reflect what it means to be in relationship with one another and to be in relationship with God this way of living out the covenant. And all law does is continually reveal how broken they are. At every turn, we see humanity's sinfulness. They uh, reject God and demand kings, these kings who supposedly will make them as strong as their neighbors. All the kings do is lead them farther and farther away from God. At every turn, these kings are a disaster, David, the one who's after God's own heart, is a terrible character. At best, his redeeming quality is repentance. The effects of his sin ripple throughout his family. After David, Israel has had just these little bit of blessings. They've had this land for just a little bit of time, and the nation divides. Israel in the north, Judah in the south, bad king after bad king, Israel in the north is taken into exile by Assyria. The southern kingdom holds on for a little bit longer, but their sin's even worse. There's not a good king to be found in the south. They try making deals with foreign governments. Maybe, oh maybe, if we team up with Egypt, we can stop Babylon. And they do for a little while. But ultimately, Babylon crushes in on them, takes them into exile, and destroys Jerusalem. Jerusalem. This is as hopeless as hopeless gets. This is the context of today's passage. This is the context of no hope. Hear these words. Oh no, she sits alone, the city that was once full of people, once great among nations. She has become like a widow, once a queen over providences. She's become a slave. She weeps bitterly in the night, her tears on her cheek. None of her lovers comfort her. All her friends lied to her. They have become her enemies. Judah was exiled after suffering and hard service. She lives amongst the nations who find she finds no rest. All who were chasing her have caught her right in the middle of her distress. Zion's roads are in mourning. No one comes to the festivals. All her gates are deserted. Her priests are groaning. Her young women grieving. She is bitter. Her adversaries have become rulers. Her enemies relax. Certainly the Lord caused her grief because of her many wrongful acts. Her children have gone away captive before the enemy. Daughter Zion lost all her glory. Her officials are like deer that can't find pasture. They've gone away frail before the hunter. At least the psalms lament usually give us some kind of turn. But we'll praise to God eventually. There is no turn of hope. In today's passage, instead of it's a comprehensive picture of lamentation, the women, the men, the servants, the officials, everybody is devastated. They personify Jerusalem, daughter Zion, done. The weight of Israel's sin reaches its climax in this very moment. Surely not everybody in Israel was terrible. Elijah thought he was the only good one left, and God built up a whole group around him. But they all bore the responsibility for these sins. Uh, God doesn't go around in these passages going, I'm going to wipe out the six of you who sinned. It is communal. There is no... We're going to separate out the good Israelites from the bad Israelites. It is Israel has failed to be my people. They've given their heart to other gods. They've trampled on people. And you're all going to bear the weight of what you've done. It'd be better to me if there was that out. At least the good ones get spared, right? Because then we can picture, I'm the good one. Israel bears the weight of Israel's failures. And it's total. There is no hope. They're in foreign lands. Ezekiel paints a picture that the very presence of God has lifted up from the temple and disappeared. Hopelessness. I've been trying to think about what a contemporary feeling of this would be. And because they're a nation state, this is like This is like the church has failed. We exist no more. Washington D.C. has been taken over by a foreign government. Frankfurt has been taken over. We are living in Canada or Mexico or Russia or wherever. Everything has fallen apart that they know of. Their religious system, their political system, their very homes, they have nothing left. You can see why there's no hope. I wanted to find some other text and point you to like the but that comes because of Christ, right? But I think that's unfair to this text. To jump to hope before we let it do what its genre is trying to get it to do. To name the devastating effects of sin of unfaithfulness, of turning from God. Washington, D.C. hasn't fallen. The, The church is still together. But if we survey the landscape, there are plenty of things lamentable in our world, plenty of things that if we look around, we should groan over. Things that we know break God's heart, Things that he would actually desire us to be part of. And they're probably things that we actually have nothing to do with, right? This is that whole uh, corporate weight of individual sin. The opioid crisis has to break God's heart. I don't look around this room and think, ah, we're all the problem but we sure need to lament this and we sure need to be a people who seek to change. The state of uh, political discourse in America has never been good as far as I can tell. If you're a Hamilton fan, they've been arguing since the beginning, but it seems to get worse and worse that we treat people as less than people Something is going on with our climate, this creation that God has given us to care for. The number of LGBTQ youth who commit suicide, who run away from their homes, who feel completely ostracized. The fact that the church in North America can't agree about anything, that one of our favorite pastimes is to hop on Twitter and tear each other down. I want to give you the hopeful part, but that's got to come next week. It's got to come at the table. This text is inviting us to seek God's heart, to see what breaks his heart, that we might not be like the people of Israel who let our sins spiral out of control to the point when it all falls apart. See, we do have hope. Brian's prayer is at best the best prayer. When, oh God, will you make things right? And until then, we need to examine what it is that tears apart God's heart. What should be tearing up our heart? I think if we uh, took any time, we could come up with page upon page of things that are not right. That if we're honest, and we should be doing something about things that God weeps over. Lamentation makes us uncomfortable. I know silence makes us uncomfortable. Those who prepare to come to the table, I'm gonna give you time for silence, to sit in lamentation, to close your eyes and ask God what is it that breaks your heart? We can list thing after thing, and I'm sure there's stuff you've thought about that none of us have begun to think about. All you have to do is turn on the news. And so before we come to the table and encounter the little bit of hope we have today, close your eyes. Turn to God and ask him what breaks his heart and what should break yours.